I'm Brett McGarry. This week on The Couch Potatoes, I devoured a scary new show on Netflix, The Haunting of Hill House. I have mixed emotions on it. I'll tell you why. Plus... I'm Jeff Braun. I finally saw a decades-old horror classic. I'll tell you how scared that made me. Plus... You saw a scary movie? I did. Good for you. I am excited to find out which one. Uh, Make sure you download this episode in podcast form if you're listening to it on the radio. Because as a podcast exclusive, I'll have a review of this weekend's big movie, Halloween. First, it's the news from the couch. Hey, I found a shortcut through a hedge maze. Get away, you little... No, no, go easy on the wee one. His father's gonna go crazy and chop them all into haggis. What's haggis? <gasps> Boy, you read my thoughts. You've got the shining. You mean shining. Shh, you wanna get sued? One of the classic Simpsons treehouse of horror skits, The Shinning. And we're playing it because there's some hair-raising news regarding next year's treehouse of horror. Yes, by cutting off cable TV and the beer supply, I can ensure an honest winter's work out of those low lights. Sir, did you ever stop to think that maybe it was doing this that caused the previous caretakers to go insane and murder their families? Hmm, perhaps. Tell you what, we come back and everyone slaughtered, I owe you a Coke. Treehouse of Horror 30, or XXX, will coincidentally be Simpsons episode 666. out. Think I'll have a beer. Hmm, not a drop in the house. What do you know? Homer, I'm impressed. You're taking this quite well. I'll kill you and kill all of you. Homer! Sorry, sorry. Don't worry. There's plenty I can do to keep myself occupied. Maybe I'll check out that axe collection. See you later. Mom, is Dad gonna kill us? We're just gonna have to wait and see. Simpsons executive producer says episode 666, as a treehouse of horror episode, was just as they planned back in 1989. This is really big news, I guess, but it just gave us an excuse to play clips from an old Simpsons classic episode. Now, The Simpsons is in its 30th season, has not been renewed yet for a 31st season, but all signs point to yes. I was thinking along the lines of no TV and no beer make Homer something something. Go crazy? Don't mind if I do! This year's Treehouse of Horror airs this Sunday, October 21st on Fox and will involve Jurassic Park, Invasion of the Body Snatchers, and The Three Faces of Eve. And the opening of the episode will involve an eating contest between an ancient creature of the sea, which I can't really pronounce its name, can you? Cthulhu. Cthulhu! The Metallica wrote a song about it. There you go. And <laughs> Homer. Who do you think wins? Here's Johnny! David Letterman! Hi, David! I'm Grandpa! Oh. I'm Mike Wallace, I'm Marley Safer, and I'm Ed Bradley! All this and Andy Rooney tonight on 60 Minutes! Ah! 
A new trailer this week for a Keanu Reeves sci-fi movie called Replica. We got a donor inbound, 37 minutes. Time since cardiac death. Seven hours, 15 minutes. Proceed. Initiate sequence. We are going to replicate the human mind. We are going to take his biological brain, imprint it into that synthetic brain. Ah yes, that old trick, putting a human consciousness in a robot. What could go wrong? Reeves plays a scientist, and the reasons for this particular bit of madness are pretty simple. His family died in a traffic accident, and he wants to bring them back. But first, he's got to make the technology work. Stand by to initiate neural imprint. All functions, go. Try to relax. You're coming online. Who am I? Who am I? This is actually the second trailer. The first one came out a year ago, and that the movie has not yet been released does not fill me with confidence. Reeves also has a dark comedy with Winona Ryder coming out this fall, but the movie we really want from him is John Wick Chapter 3. That won't happen until next year, so for now we're getting replicas opening sometime. The IMDb page only offers differing dates for Lithuania, Portugal, and the Netherlands later this year. goes wrong. Something already has. I spent my whole life scrapping. Jealous, hungry, scared. I wanna find something decent. Something good. You can be better than me. That's Nicole Kidman giving a performance unlike any she's given so far in the first trailer for a movie called Destroyer, a film that earned solid reviews at the Toronto Film Festival. It's about the moral journey an LAPD detective goes on. As a young officer, she went undercover with a California gang, and things went bad. Who is it? No ID, no idea. story. Placing our agent undercover, she'll look right enough next to our guy. If we do this, we accept the consequences. Do you love me? You know I do. Years later, the gang leader re-emerges and she has to deal with all the remaining gang members while she delves into her past to finally confront her demons. You chose to play cops and robbers. She just shot a lot of people. Here's what some critics are saying about Kidman. Nothing Nicole Kidman has done can prepare you for Destroyer. That's from Variety. Hands down, the best work Nicole Kidman has ever done, says ComingSoon.net. And The Rap says, Kidman's talents are unleashed with unexpected fury. Great supporting cast, including Bradley Whitford, Sebastian Stan, and Tatiana Maslany of Orphan Black fame. Destroyer opens in New York and L.A. on Christmas Day and then expands in January. 
the one good thing. Here we go. Ladies and gentlemen, I am doing this Netflix special for you. Netflix released a trailer for the next Adam Sandler thing. It's a stand-up comedy special, but it also looks like it's part tour documentary or something. Whatever it ends up being, it looks like good Adam Sandler, which has been far too rare over his career. His good column includes his SNL days, his comedy albums, his first bunch of comedy movies, and a few dramedies like Punch Drunk Love and Funny People. And now, possibly, this stand-up special. You want to hear a, a true uh, Adam Sandler story? <laughs> Should we clap along? Of course, I'm... What's up? Does this song involve a shampoo bottle? It does. Okay. (laughs) It also involves... The corner? <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, I'm not going to get my hopes up too high about this stand-up special, though, because bad Adam Sandler has been much more prolific the last 20 years. While this is his first stand-up special in 14 years, it's not his first Netflix Netflix project. He's made a bunch of movies. A couple are apparently watchable. Hopefully Adam Sandler, 100% fresh, will be as well, and we'll find out on the 23rd. All right, let's lose that. I hate it. From the top. <laughs> Fade to black. <laughs> this job is not for everyone. Because of the hours? Because the only co-workers are cadavers. Here's a good one for you, Jeff. Oh, yeah? Since you watched a scary movie this oh, week, so on. excited to find out which one. <laughs> Why not try your luck at the freshly released trailer this week of The Possession of Hannah Grace? You're the new girl. Megan. Well, I got a weird one for you. Her name is Hannah Grace. And her family was performing an exorcism or something on her. <laughs> something went wrong. died in the middle of it. It stars Shay Mitchell from Pretty Little Liars and Stonic Kadic from Castle and Absentia. An exorcism spins out of control in this movie, kills a young woman. Months later, a morgue takes a delivery of a disfigured cadaver during the graveyard shift. You know what they say. If an exorcism isn't completed, evil will find a new vessel. I believe when you die, you die. End of story. Then you're up for it? I can handle it. Doesn't take long for things to start getting weird and start getting scary, like demon possession scary. The movie was formerly called Cadaver, but they changed the name to The Possession of Hannah Grace, and it opens in theaters November 30th. That is the news from the couch. Up next, we'll tell you what's coming to home video, and speaking of home video... I watched one of the movies I should have watched this summer. I'll tell you which one. Next, you're listening to The Couch Potatoes. The KKK is planning an attack. How do you propose to make this investigation? I'm going undercover in the Ku Klux Klan. You ready? Born ready. 
The wars are coming. I gotta get in deeper with these guys. I'm talking about power to the people. Black Klansman in theaters August 10th. Brett McGarry, Jeff Braun, we are the Couch Potatoes. Talking about what is coming to home video this week, as we just heard. Jeff, what was that? A Spike Lee joined Black Klansman. I gave it four and a half couch cushions out of five. It is one of the best movies of the year. Uh, it tells the true story of this guy, Ron Stallworth, in the 70s. He was a African-American police officer in a small city in Colorado, and he went undercover in the KKK. Now... He had a white partner that he had to go physically be in some of the meetings, but he did a lot of the stuff on the phone, including uh, buddying up with the, the Grand Wizard himself. Wow. So that's coming to digital HD. Also, The Incredibles 2 from Disney Pixar, one of the biggest movies of the year, third biggest movie in North America with $607 million. I feel that's weird because I feel like no one talked about that movie at all this year. Yeah. It's, it was surprisingly quiet, I think, yeah. in terms of the buzz, but it just quietly devoured yeah, yeah. box office receipts. And uh, what's coming to hard copy and on demand? Mamma Mia, here we go again. Another one of the best movies of the year. If you like Mamma Mia 1, you'll like Mamma Mia 2. Speaking of on demand, this movie, I watched a movie on demand after failing to see it in theaters this summer. It blows my mind. You missed I wanna it. Buckle up, baby. You're after something. Is it revenge? Money? Or is it something else? If you come with us, you're in this life for good. Why not? Solo, a Star Wars story. Just for all the excitement that The Force Awakens, Rogue One, and The Last Jedi brought to you, how you went on and on about them, how you stood in line, how you saw each of those multiple times, you missed the solo movie altogether. I know, it came and went in the theater, and I didn't bother seeing it. A Star Wars movie, I never thought I would say that. But I just couldn't get excited about it, you know? It had a fair amount of negative buzz. It only had a 70% rating on Rotten Tomatoes, which is still decent, but that's not Star Wars caliber had a measly 213 million dollars <laughs> at the domestic box office it single-handedly prompted lucasfilm to halt their star wars stories you know they had an obi-wan kenobi movie planned maybe a boba fett movie rogue one did very well and i still stand by my previous rantings my favorite star wars movie still rogue one still rogue one that's a weird one that's a dividing one as well i've seen a lot of hate for that one too but a lot of love for it. yeah i dig it uh solo did not do well by star wars standards even with 392 million worldwide box office rogue one by comparison made over half a billion in north america alone having said all that it is a star wars movie so it was only a matter of time before i saw it and i found myself sitting home alone on a friday night and thought why not I'm flying solo. Let's watch some solo. So I went into my PVR, ordered it on demand, and off I went. And it was a solid renter. Yeah. I really liked it. Would have liked to have seen it in 3D on the big screen because I liked the 3D, but... I maybe would have been disappointed having gone to see it at the movies because, indeed, it's not as good as the other Star Wars movie, but it was fun. The train chase? That was yeah. pretty cool. Yeah, it was very innovative uh, yeah. action scene. Alden Ehrenreich, he was 
just fine as Han Solo. Yeah. I don't know what the fuss was about. Great supporting cast. Donald Glover as Lando Calrissian. Amelia Clark was in it. She's the mother of dragons from Game <laughs> of Thrones. A cool, another hilarious robot. Sassy robot. Yeah, like another great sassy robot following up on Rogue One. Uh, Woody Harrelson's great in everything he does. Paul Bettany is in it. He's always great. Of course, Chewbacca. I mean, hey, there was a lot to like about this movie. And it was cool to see the Millennium Falcon looking so pristine and new. I, maybe, I guess, just the movie wasn't necessary. I don't know. Like, it just lacked the emotional weight we yeah. see in the other Star Wars movies. And maybe one twist and turn too many or one double cross too many is a, kind of a little bit too much of that at the end. Well, and that's one of their complaints that uh, I got to play here. You know, because the movie wasn't taking itself quite as seriously as the other Star Wars movies, it probably should have maxed out at two hours. Instead, it's 2.15. That's too long. That's right. I played the too long card because I always uh, yep. play the too long card. And most of the characters are scoundrels, so there isn't really a whole lot of people to like in this. And then at the end, when there's this big emotional twist for Han Solo, he almost doesn't even really care about it. So <laughs> that kind of took the wind out of the sails. I liked it. I enjoyed it. I had fun. But ultimately, it's easily the most forgettable Star Wars movie. So I'll give that three couch cushions out of five for Solo, a Star Wars story. And up next, we're going to find out what horror movie Jeff saw, and I'll tell you about a new horror series on Netflix. You're listening to The Couch Potatoes. Brett McGarry, Jeff Braun, we are The Couch Potatoes. Coming up, Jeff is going to tell you which scary movie he saw. And as well, if you're listening to this on the radio, make sure you download The Couch Potatoes podcast on iTunes or Google Play Music, because at the end of the show, I'll have an exclusive podcast review of Halloween, new in theaters this week. But this week... I plowed through a new show on Netflix that debuted last Friday, just in time for Halloween. It's a scary show called The Haunting of Hill House. Here's an extended clip from the trailer. Now I want you two to get good rest. What if I have a bad dream? Oh, I'm sure we can handle any dream you have. What if I dream that you sent us away into the dark and me get hurt. Really hurt. And what if I'm so sad and scared of the dark out there that I put poison in me for years and years until my blood turns into poison and my heart breaks right in half and I can't feel anything happy. I can't stand it anymore and I I have to die. Until I'm on a silver table. It's my jaw wired shut. Would you wake us up from a dream like that? It's set in two timelines, the present, where we meet five adults who are all screwed up in their own weird way, and it's set in the past, when they were all kids, living with their mom and dad in a huge old creepy house their parents bought to flip over the summer. Turns out, as the title might suggest, the house is haunted. We're not like any other family. We're different. Because of where we grew up. Hill House. not crazy. Neither was your sister, neither is your brother, neither are you. It's that house. 
cast is led by Carla Gugino as the mom, while the dad is played by two guys, Henry Thomas as younger dad and Timothy Hutton as older dad. The rest of the cast is mostly people I've never seen before, save for Michael Heisman, who plays the eldest son. I recognized him as Dario Naharis in Game of Thrones, the second one after they recast the role. He was also in Orphan Black. The kids in the cast are all solid, too. We often say on the Couch Potatoes, this movie stars this person, that person, and some kid. Well, all these kids are up to the task in this scary show. You don't have to worry now, sweetie. That really bad dream? Of course I'd wake. So the way this came about, last Sunday afternoon, girlfriend says, hey, if you want to watch something Halloween-y, Netflix has a new show out this week called The Haunting of Hill House. Here's a trailer. I'd not heard of it, but after watching the trailer, I thought, oh, hey, why not? So we watched the first episode, and I noticed in the opening credits it's based on a book by Shirley Jackson. And I thought to myself, I recognize that name. I think I'm going to have to Google her after. More on that in a second. First episode, appropriately creepy, as you would expect from the trailer and from the opening credits and whatnot. Had a couple of decent scares, but lots of cheap scares. You know, typical stuff for setting the table for a horror show. They start by building up the tension, and then they cut it by faking you out, and then eventually deliver some real scares. But, indeed, by the end of the episode, I was scared and intrigued. But throughout the first episode, I was wondering, this all seems familiar. I wonder if it has to do with that Shirley Jackson. So I looked her up, as I said I would, and I recognized the name once I saw the first hit on Google. She wrote the short story for The Lottery, something I read in university, a famous story. Have you ever read, Jeff, The The, Lottery? No, I don't think I have. Short story, it's, uh, well, a little town... They all have to take part in this lottery, and the ending is, like, so shocking. I remember reading it, and I think I probably turned white. I had goosebumps all over. Just thinking about it right now, it's giving me goosebumps again. One of the best stories I've ever read. But her book, The Haunting of Hill House, has been adapted twice into movies called The Haunting, which is where I knew it from. Once in 1963. I haven't seen that but once in 1999 as well, and I did see that 1999 movie, and it was horrible. Starred Liam Neeson, Catherine Zeta-Jones, Owen Wilson, to name a few members of the cast. That movie started great, super creepy, gothic old house, but as the movie went along, it just devolved into CGI nonsense, and the story took a backseat to the visual effects, and it was awful. So the first, back to The Haunting of Hill House, the TV show. First four episodes intriguing lots of good scares and real scares terrifying stuff it was impressive but it also created wonderfully developed characters because each of the first episode of the first six episodes really they sort of focus on i guess the first five they, they focus on one of each of the five kids and uh, we learn mostly about that kid and i was just so impressed with the patience on display in the filmmaking. You know, so many shows resort to quick edits and snappy dialogue, but this show was not afraid to hold the camera on someone for like extended periods of time while they delivered really beautiful dialogue, poetic even. I was impressed with the dialogue throughout the whole series. So that was something that I really, really caught my attention. You know, it wasn't just throwaway kind of like network TV dialogue. 
first episode, uh, or the fifth episode, pardon me, had some good scares with a major reveal. The sixth episode was excellent. Most of it was a series of long takes with just one camera move, no edits. Usually you get maybe one of those scenes in a 10-episode series like True Detective when they did their first eight episodes. They had that one five-minute scene, which was super impressive. Well, in this, they did it multiple times in the one episode. Everyone's got to nail their lines, hit their marks. The camera's got to flow throughout the scene. It was great, and when it's done properly, it just really compels you to just... It sucks you into the scene. There's a Mr. Robot episode that you haven't watched yet that does that as well. I got to get to that sooner or later. Six episodes still on my PV. I'll get to it eventually. But yeah, the episode was so good, I'm going to have to watch it again. But after watching those fifth and sixth episodes, I thought, you know, those weren't all that scary. They were good, but they weren't that scary. But we're coming into the final four. It's going to get real scary again, especially as we come to the climax. It's got to be scary in the climax because it's all horror movies end with a major scary climax, right? Yep. Well, no, it wasn't really scary at all, other than the occasional thing little jump scare here and there. But at this point, the scares almost felt like they didn't fit because the family drama became the real story here and the scares felt like they were just kind of thrown in to fill a quota. Don't get me wrong. It's a great family drama, really touching stuff. Like the ending of the the season of the series was was wonderful. But when you call yourself a horror series, like in the title or the trailer, it says a Netflix horror series, then give me horror all the way through. It started off as a solid scary show, but then it changed into something else. It's like it's like going out for drinks. You order a beer yeah. and you get the beer and it's good, but then you get a refill. And when that refill comes, it's not a beer. It's a glass of wine. It's still great, you think to yourself, but it's not what I ordered. That's true. So that's kind of what I felt like with this show. I wanted horror all the way through, so I feel kind of ripped off. Again, still good. I'm glad I watched it because told this great story about this messed up family, had excellent acting from everyone involved. It just wasn't what I was hoping for after watching the trailer and those first few episodes. Plus, as I mentioned, 10 episodes, so it's a big time commitment. If you're looking for a big scary finish, you're not going to find it with this show, but if you enjoy a good family drama that happens to be scary at times, then I would recommend checking it out. And again, I will make it clear, the scary stuff that is in the show is really scary. I just wanted more. So overall, I would give it three and a half couch cushions out of five. I liked it, just didn't love it. And I should also point out, I, I, I almost had to give kudos for to Netflix. They managed to sneak in uh, multiple references to Daredevil, because really? one of the kids wanted to de- dress up like Daredevil <laughs> for Halloween. And uh, Daredevil Season 3 debuted on Netflix this weekend. That's clever. You know what's more clever on Amazon? I ordered a couple packages recently, and the tape they use to tape up the boxes from Amazon are ads for Jack Ryan, the TV show. Wow. Yeah, I was like, that's some good advertising, because they send out a lot of packages. I got to check that out still. So yeah, three and a half couch cushions out of five for The Haunting of Hill House. And up next, Jeff is going to tell you what scary movie he saw. Can't Mm -hmm. wait. You're listening to The Couch Potatoes. Welcome back to The Couch Potatoes. I'm Jeff. He's Brett. We heard about The Haunting of Hill House from Brett over on Netflix, the show we watched. And believe it or not, I watched a horror movie this week, Brett. After all, tis the season. boy. See if you know this one. It's not as if she were a, a maniac, a raving thing. She just goes a little mad sometimes. We all go a little mad sometimes. Oh, my God. Do you know this one? Classic. 
haven't you? Yeah, if the listener doesn't know it yet, this next clip will give it away. Um, you know, Jeff, I don't, uh, I don't think I recognize that. <laughs> it's called Psycho, starring Anthony Perkins and Janet Lee. And you know who Janet Lee's daughter is, don't you? Off the top of my head, I, it's not coming to me. I know Her name is Jamie Lee Curtis, and she stars in Halloween. Yes, that's out this right. weekend. That's in right. Scary movies everywhere. That so there's that. I'm going to blow your mind a little later on again. Oh, uh, as a fun surprise, Martin Balsam, who's he's a he's a bit of a name back in the day. I know him as one of the old newsroom guys in All the President's Men. He plays the detective in Psycho. I was glad to see him on the screen. A friendly face that I could. Oh, okay, I know this guy. So it's going to be all right. Uh, of course, the most famous name associated with Psycho is director Alfred Hitchcock, and Psycho is one of, if not the masterpiece associated with his name. Now, here's my history with the movie Psycho. I never saw it until this week. I knew the twist, and of course I'm familiar with the shower scene. Everything else was news to me, but, I mean, come on. The twist at the end in the shower are the two big things. Spoilers for Psycho! <laughs> Pause for a fact. The killer is Norman Bates, not his mother. She's long dead, but he keeps the corpse and dresses up as her when he kills folks because, you know, he's psycho. Uh, I've actually owned the Blu-ray of this for several years. What? I bought a Hitchcock box set because it was cheap and it had North by Northwest in it, which is one of my favorite movies. I eventually, last year, got up the nerve to watch Rear Window and Vertigo after learning they weren't even horror movies because yep. I thought they were. Uh, so my Hitchcock game is weak. Uh, the Birds, also in that box set. Still haven't watched it. But last week, a podcast I like uh, did an episode on Psycho, so I thought, time to put on my big boy pants and give it a watch. And I loved it. It's a masterpiece, all right. And it wasn't scary. It was eerie and creepy and a good thriller, but not scary. Even the shower scene, the most intense scene, to be sure, it's not really scary. Probably it would have been horrifying for its time, right? Shocking and absolutely. scary. Absolutely. Yeah. They don't show the knife going in. She isn't even bloody. I mean, they do show blood going down the shower drain at the end, but it's not like she's standing there dripping in blood or anything. Um, Anthony Burkson makes a very good killer. He comes off as a little bit creepy, but he also seems innocent enough that I could see why people wouldn't have jumped to the conclusion back in the day that he was the killer all along. Hitchcock played that audience like a fiddle. All the noir elements are really good. They make up the vibe. Hitchcock's got a simple style plus a really tight screenplay that makes it a just a top-tier effort. My only problem actually was that it was too tame, but like you say, for 1960, it was something else. Apparently, it was the first movie to show a toilet. Really? Period. Wow. They wouldn't even have, like, you open a bathroom door and you see a toilet in the corner. That never used to be a thing. You couldn't. They didn't. They went against the production code of oh the day. Oh, my God. Yeah. So that's actually my favorite thing about it is there's so much nerdy stuff to dig into now. Psycho has been written about obsessively for decades. I'm listening to this other podcast now. That's actually a six-part deep dive into the making of it, uh, including one episode that's about the real-life Psycho that the book that the movie is based on was based on, so it's a real deep dive. And from the cinema department here's where i blow your mind i had this written down anyways and then i found out what you were talking about today uh hitchcock paid one-seventh the cost for the book rights as the producers of the original original haunting of hill house paid shirley jackson for those rights really it was the same year that they bought both books hitch paid nine thousand dollars for it and they gave shirley jackson fifty thousand dollars for hers wow and the guy that wrote psycho regretted it for the rest of his life because he lost out on a fortune it was his how was he to know right and it was his first time dealing with hollywood so he was but he was always sort of resented hitchcock for underbidding him on that book no kidding yeah Yeah, but uh, sure four and a half couch cushions out of five for psycho very quickly are you going to watch the tv show bates motel no i'm not 
Why? It's how long is it? How many seasons? Is uh, it? Was it five seasons? Four seasons? Or, it was four or five oh. seasons? I would but say they're, they're like ten episodes each. Yeah, that's still a lot. It's excellent. I'll, I'll put it on the list, but you know how the list is. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I my list uh, I think is sixty three percent full. If my we're going gosh. by the PVR, if it were starting brand new next week, I would probably start it. Okay. Well, yeah. I would recommend it, but I know you've got just as much stuff on the back burner as Baby I steps, do. man. Yeah. Hey, good for you. Congratulations. <laughs> Are you going to watch The Birds? Uh, eventually. Yeah. The Birds is creepy, although funny, just quick funny story about The Birds. My dad taped it on VHS years back and we watched it, but then the ending cut off. Oh, really? So and I still haven't seen you still the, don't know, the Do you birds. want to borrow my Blu-ray to watch the last five I minutes? I just might. <laughs> I just might. Hey, we got about 90 seconds left here. Since it's legalization week in Canada, let's talk about a popular pot culture movie. Say, man, you got a joint? Uh, no, not on me, man. <laughs> It'd be a lot cooler if you did. <laughs> Richard Linklater's Dazed and Confused from 1993. I watched it for the first time in 95 or 96, and I didn't like it, but I remember specifically not being in the mood for a movie when I saw it, so it didn't stand a chance. I recently rewatched it and loved it. The 20-plus years in between probably helped, too. Uh, if you've never seen it, it's a movie about a bunch of high school kids on the last day of school, hanging out and eventually having a big party in the woods just outside their Texas town, and it's set in 1976. Turns out the kids in 76 spent their leisure time doing the same things uh, my small town friends and I I did in high school, driving around, seeing who else is hanging out around town, trying to find a good party, and in the absence of one, getting some beer and heading out to a field or something in the countryside and starting our own party. Uh, the movie also features a lot of marijuana as well, which wasn't as big a presence in my circle back then. Matthew McConaughey's first role, we heard him in the clip there. That's also where All Right, All Right, All Right came from. He does that in the movie. And one of Ben Affleck's earliest roles, I'm, when I first saw it, I never would have recognized him. But uh, you'll, at this point, recognize most of the cast. If you're older than 35, you'll dig the nostalgic trip that the movie is definitely watch it or rewatch it as soon as you can and once again if you're listening to this episode on the radio make sure you get the podcast on google play or itunes because i will have podcast exclusive review of halloween new in theaters this weekend that's all the time we've got i'm brett he's jeff we are the couch potatoes remember if it requires getting up off the couch don't bother Hey, it's Brett. As promised, the podcast exclusive review of Halloween. Testing one, two, three. We're on. We're here to investigate a patient that killed three innocent teenagers on Halloween in 1978. He was shot by his own psychiatrist and taken into custody that night. And has spent the last 40 years in captivity. Hello, Michael. That's Michael Myers to you. In this rendition of Halloween, the original Scream Queen herself, Jamie Lee Curtis is back one more time to reprise her character Laurie Strode from the 1978 classic. Everyone in my family like turns into a nutcase this time of year. Yeah, I mean, your grandmother is Laurie Strode. She was almost murdered. Wasn't it her brother? Who murdered all those babysitters? No, it was not her brother. That's something that people made up. Do you know that I pray every night that he would escape? Who the hell did you do that for? So I can kill him.
Now, if you are at all familiar with the Halloween movies, you might be thinking, hang on, didn't they kill her off? Yes, they did! After returning for the seventh movie in the series, Halloween H2O, 20 years later, she came back again in 2002 for Halloween Resurrection, where they killed her, rather unceremoniously as well. If you don't remember that movie, it's because it was awful. It was about a crew trying to make a one-night reality show extravaganza starring rapper Busta Rhymes. Oh, man. Charlie, where the f*** you been at, man? Don't you know we've been looking all over this mall for you? And why the hell you dressed like me anyway? I ain't paying you to be Michael Myers. I'm playing Michael Myers. If them kids come around and see us dressed up in the same you're going to ruin the whole effect. You might also remember Rob Zombie rebooted the franchise with a pair of his own brutal stories of Michael Myers, and I don't mean brutal in that they were bad, I liked them, but they were just brutally violent in 2007 and 2009. Behind these eyes, one finds only darkness. These are the eyes of a psychopath. Not that the original movies weren't violent either, I just remember thinking the Rob Zombie movies were... Like, there was one scene where I thought, holy smokes, that was vicious. This new movie ignores all of that. All the sequels, the reboots as well. This one simply takes place 40 years after the original and sets up Laurie Strode's final confrontation with Michael Myers. This time, she's trained herself in weapons, just in case Michael ever comes back. Michael's escaped. He's waited for this night. He's waited for me. I've waited for him. Get out the wall! Get inside! Also worth pointing out, one of the writers is Danny McBride. Yes, that Danny McBride, the funny-looking guy from stuff like the HBO series Eastbound and Down. I'm sick and tired of carrying all the weight. Uh, the coaches and owners not giving me the shit I need to win. Atlanta, you're f***ing out. Kenny Powers is now a free agent. Find a bar and get based huh? Get me paid, bitch. Superstar! The movie is directed by David Gordon Green, who has previously worked with McBride a lot. For example, the movie Pineapple Express, the aforementioned Eastbound and Down, and McBride's follow-up HBO series Vice Principals. Weird that a couple of funny guys are in charge of a scary movie, but it seemed weird when Jordan Peele of Key and Peele fame made Get Out, and that turned out to be amazing. The master of horror, John Carpenter, the man behind the original, is the executive producer and served as a creative consultant, and it's been getting great reviews. Let me just pull up Rotten Tomatoes. It's at 80% on Rotten Tomatoes, and they're saying it's the best Halloween movie since the original, so I'll tell you what I think in a moment. You don't believe in the Boogeyman? He's here! Michael! You should. Can you close the closet door?
I'm just gonna freewheel this here. I haven't jotted anything down. I have no notes in front of me. I'm just gonna go off the cuff because as of this recording, I just saw the movie last night, so it's fresh in my brain. Had the pleasure of going to see this movie with my friend Kent, who is the biggest Michael Myers super fan I know. He actually went to watch Halloween, the original, the night before. That was playing at the theater, and then he was fresh to see the new one. I wish I could have joined him for that because it would have been nice to see the original and to see the comparison. It has been years since I saw the original, and I think I've only seen it one time. So I'm by no means an expert on the Halloween franchise, on Michael Myers, on all that stuff. So it's fun to go with an expert who has some insight into this stuff. And right away you could tell that there were a whole bunch of nods to the original, including the opening credits, which were, it was the same font, and they, they had the pumpkin I don't know if you've ever seen it, but there's a pumpkin that the camera zooms in on slowly in the original. And in this one, it was like a squashed pumpkin, and it was slowly being unsquashed. So that was kind of neat. Just a slight change. The music, it's the same music, but they, they just changed... They changed it a little bit. I wish that they had used the actual, like, full original score. That's a minor nitpick. What I really liked is how much care went into this movie to pay respect and honor the franchise. There were nods to the original movie. There were nods to the sequels. I didn't spot the nods to the sequel, but my buddy Kent did. He said, oh yeah, this scene was just like in Halloween 2, and then this was from Halloween 3, so that was cool. Uh, having seen the original, I was able to spot a couple of basically identical scenes, but still done in a new way, so it wasn't just a rehash. And this did not feel like a rehash. It didn't feel like a Halloween love-in. This was a new movie, but it just honored those elements from the franchise, so that was really cool. One thing I did not like about this film was that it had too much comedy. Don't get me wrong, I like comedy, and this one had some great comedy, like really clever dialogue, funny lines, and they were delivered very well. You know, great acting in those lines. But there was almost too... Yeah, there wasn't almost, there was, in my opinion, too much comedy. You know, comedy in a scary movie, I think should be used sparingly because comedy can serve as an effective tool to cut the tension, right? In the case of a scary movie, that's what it's there for. It's there to cut the tension just a little bit, but in this case, there was too much of it. And in some scenes, like Michael Myers is there, he's about to do his thing, but there's comedy happening throughout. So. I'm wondering, am I supposed to be laughing right now? Should I be scared? Like, what what kind of tone is this movie trying to take? What identity is this movie trying to form? And I don't think it ever really quite makes up its mind because it starts off deadly serious, and then there's some comedy sprinkled in, and then there's more comedy, and then it finally goes back to being a thriller. So that was distracting. I still enjoyed it. Like I said, it was funny stuff. But I'm not sure that it needed to be there. I'm not sure that it fits. Having said that, though, I told you about the funny guys involved in the creation of this film. So that's why, at the very least, that's why the comedy was so well executed. As far as Michael Myers is concerned, yep, it's a slasher film. And he kills a lot of people in rather brutal fashion. And it, some of the scenes 
are really tense. There's a scene in a bathroom at a gas station, and you see a snip of it in one of the trailers, but to watch it unfold, it was pretty scary stuff to imagine yourself in that situation, especially when you realize this is Michael Myers and my life is about to end in a really bad way. So I enjoyed that. And I also enjoyed Jamie Lee Curtis. She is great in everything she does. And I like that she keeps coming back to this franchise. And in this case, delivering a new take on a character that she's already done. Like, this is a character that she has already portrayed as dying on screen. So it's cool to see her come back and do sort of a fresh take on this character. This woman who has been traumatized her whole life. She lives in the woods in essentially a fortress that's armed to the teeth. She's an expert in guns. And the way that they... The final act... The way that they managed to incorporate elements of the original into this, but flip it around where she is essentially the hunter is really cool. And the tension in those last, I want to say, 15 minutes where it's Laurie Strode versus Michael Myers in her house is among the most suspenseful and intense things I have seen in a very long time anywhere. It's gold. It's so good. Like, it was a white-knuckle thrill ride. I was genuinely clenching my seat in the theater. Which, by the way, I went to a Landmark Cinemas theater. Those recliner seats, God, I love those things, man. You should check that out if you have access to Landmark Cinemas in your neighborhood. Because those recliner seats, I'm telling you, oh, they are nice. But uh, overall, I enjoyed it. I had fun. I know that I had a couple of gripes. The comedy was distracting at times. But Michael Myers is just one of those iconic figures, and they handle this with care. There have been some laughable entries. I told you about Halloween Resurrection. It was terrible. That was a bad, stupid movie. This is not a bad, stupid movie. This is a movie that honors one of the most well-known, most recognizable faces, or I guess I should say masks, in the history of film. And Michael Myers essentially was one of the main characters that kicked off the whole trend of slasher films, the slasher genre. So I liked it. And my buddy Kent liked it too. He said it's not the best in the series, but it was pretty good. So I'm, I, I, we didn't have time to have a detailed conversation because I had to run away right after the movie ended. Normally I like to go out for a beer after the movie and have a debrief and talk about what we liked and what we didn't like because I'm a nerd. But I had to run home and get to bed because I was tired and I needed some sweepy weepy. But I dig it mostly. Three and a half couch cushions out of five for Halloween. It's a good time at the movies. The ending is kind of abrupt, though. That That's going to put some people off. And I will point out, there is something at the end of the credits. It's not a scene, but there is something there. You can stick around for that if you want. The credits weren't too long. It wasn't like a Marvel Cinematic Universe movie where you got to sit through, like, 10 minutes of credits because they have 4,000 visual effects people that need to be credited. This is a lot shorter, so it only takes about five minutes to get to the end of the credits. All right, three and a half couch cushions out of five for Halloween. Thanks for sticking around to the end of the podcast. Bye!